Welcome to Attack of the Queer Wolf. I'm Nay. I'm Michael. Hi. Hello. No it's, Brennan. No Brennan. It's just Michael and I today, but we do have two very, very special guests. Our first guest, you might know from a previous Queer Wolf Pod episode, uh, Friend of the pod, making his second appearance on the show. He is the writer, director, producer, daddy responsible for such stand shows as Wonderfalls, Pushing Daisies, and Hannibal. As smart as he is funny, with the best sweater collection in America, everyone. They call them jumpers in England. (laughs) Brian Fuller. Hi, everybody. It's nice to be back. Welcome back. Who did you bring with you? I brought my friend Nancy. I can't even believe this moment and that I am going to introduce this next person. I'm having a little bit of a fangirl moment. Yay. I mean, There's a, a lot, lot of to it. fan out of there it. Is. No, seriously, especially after having rewatched the movie on the flight last night. Everybody. Our other guest is a screen legend. A legend. Okay, where do we begin? Uh, our Queer Wolf Pod fans probably remember her most for her pitch-perfect turn as bad girl Chris Harginson in Carrie, as well as Liz in Dress to Kill, for which she received a Golden Globe nomination, Sally in Blowout, Pat in Poltergeist 3, as well as Officer Lewis in the first three RoboCop movies. She has three Saturn Award nominations for her roles in RoboCop, RoboCop 3, as well as her brilliant performance in the sci-fi classic the philadelphia experiment in 2008 her focus shifted to breast cancer awareness and anti-cancer activism and in 2010 she was named the executive director of we spark cancer support center which was founded by wendy joe sperber prior to her death in 2005 folks the legendary daring caring nancy allen yeah that was a good intro because michael i need to give credit where credit's due michael wrote that Uh, okay i'm seriously blushing (laughs) me too though i literally sat down and was like where do i even start there's so many things to say about nancy allen I'm personally going to say, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> I can't even speak. I'm so glad you're here. I'm thrilled. This is an amazing moment for us. So I thank really you so much for it. being here. Yeah. Well, I'm really Brian, happy to be here and be invited by you guys. And especially being here with Brian, who I adore. <laughs> it's mutual. It's mutual. I met Nancy yeah, at the Carrie event a couple of years ago, which was a WeSpark event. And it was the single best experience I've ever had watching that movie because yeah. in the moment – in the prom, when Carrie turns all the lights red, they made all the lights in the theater Whoa. red, and the audience erupted, chills, and I was sitting behind Carrie's mother, who what? was digging it. <laughs> Piper Laurie was what? there, like having such a blast. It was it was the best experience I've ever had watching that movie, wow. and I got to be in the theater with you while I was watching it. Well, it was the best experience for me too because. You know, first of all, watching Piper watch the movie, the first time I'd ever seen it with her, Mm. and she was beyond, beyond. She was just loving every moment of it. But the fans were so amazing because they were really young and then really old, and people were dressed in prom attire and, you know, as the characters. And I think there was only one dressed as me. I guess (laughs) I wasn't very popular, but, you know, we noticed these things. (laughs) I felt really bad. You were the villain. I know. But, but don't people want to be – I want to dress as a yes, villain. I'll dress as you villains. as the next one. At Thank the next you. Carry I'll Thank do you. it for the rest of my life. <laughs> 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 uh, this is so surreal to me. 
well. <laughs> and that was a Wee Spark event? That was a Wee Spark event. And, uh, I just loved that Nancy carried on the legacy. And of course, I was a fan of Wendy Jo Sperber from being the sister who almost disappeared in Back to the Future mm-hmm. and Bosom Buddies and 1941. I think that was when you. I want to hold your hand. We met. Oh, was that? Uh, yeah. But, but also 1941 or am I yes, confusing? Yes, it was things? after. Okay. Right. So, uh, I want to hold your hand came first and that was Bob Zemeckis' mm-hmm. first film. He was 26. Was he really? Yes. And he was so mm-hmm. nerdy. I was walking down the hall. <laughs> <laughs> I was walking down the hall for the audition for, uh, for I want to hold your hand. And I ran into this tall, geeky guy in the hallway. So hi, you're Nancy Allen. I just loved you and Carrie. And I thought he was like an office boy or something. <laughs> I said, gee, thank you. And I went in and signed in in the waiting room. And the casting director came out and said, okay, you can come in with the director now. And I walked in and I, was, and I said, oh, you're the director? <laughs> but I got to tell you, it was so clear right away from the reading that this guy absolutely knew exactly what he wanted. And and then I met Wendy Jo at the first rehearsal and we fell in love. Really, we just loved each other right from the start. I love those female friendships. We need to see more of them in movies. Mm-hmm. We were always looking for something to do together oh. after that. So, Wow. For our listeners, um, what can we tell them about We Spark? Uh, we know? Spark? It, like, so the reason I love it is that I know so many people in the industry who in, – in the entertainment industry who are not oncologists. And so <laughs> they have no idea what to do when they get a cancer diagnosis. And what is wonderful about the service that Nancy provides with We Spark is that it is an advocacy group for you to go to and say, I don't know what's happening. This help is what me. my doctor wow. said. Help me. And they do. Well, so and we have a wide variety of services that are all free, support oh, wow. groups, oh, wow. integrative. I was into all those. Wendy said, you're into all the woo-woo stuff. Help me bring that in here. So <laughs> things that would cost a fortune like hypnotherapy mm-hmm. and Reiki and reflexology, a lot of things like that. I mean, we have 45 different programs that we offer wow. that are all free. So That's amazing. For That's cancer amazing. patients, survivors, and their loved ones, which includes friends. And uh, I think, you know, I think almost – I'm willing to bet every single person has been affected by cancer in one way or another. So it's amazing. Um, My dad had cancer when he passed away. Mine too. So it's a resource people need because without good insurance or just even context or even just you get hit with it and you're like, what now? It's so important. And even with medical insurance, it's so hard to navigate all of those situations and to know he, who, who even to ask and who to rely on, who to get advice from, not feel like you're bothering anyone, to be around people who know what you're experiencing. That all sounds so amazing. That's true. Navigating. We have a nurse navigator that helps you navigate uh, your oh, diagnosis and the insurance. And, wow. you know, there's a lot of financial components. People mm-hmm. are really struck. People assume that because you have insurance that everything is right. covered, but it's mm-hmm. not. Anyway, it's a wonderful place. And I always say to people, I hope you never need it. But if you do, we're there. Do uh, Can other Zodiac signs uh, <laughs> approach <laughs> or just people born in late July or early July and late June? You are so silly. <laughs> <laughs> and do, uh, do you have a website? We do. It's www.wespark.org. Great. And do you take donations on the website? We absolutely will take donations in any way you want to do it. (laughs) And if you're a fan of this movie, they have action figures available on the website for a significant donation. You can get a Liz and Bobby (gasps) two-pack 
made by <laughs> Retro Band. <laughs> Okay, I know what I'm doing tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, amazing. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. (laughs) So is this is this the part of the 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 thing where you talk about what you've seen? Yeah, like spill it. Got it. Spill it. Well, I spill it. (laughs) You start. You spill the tea. You spill it. Well, I've gone through a lot. Of movies lately. <laughs> yeah, Be- you have. Beyond Fest was yeah. on, so we got to see a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of the best movie of the century is Jojo Rabbit. That's what like, you were telling me. I hate me. to say uh-huh. that so hyperbolically, but I walked away from that movie so in love with the the alchemy of tones that this filmmaker used to tell this story. And for the first time, and I can't remember the last, last time this happened, it snatched the air from my lungs. And I said, snatch for you, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, so, That's a high recommend. I huh? love that movie. It's a great, great movie. I can't wait to see it. Did you see anything else at Beyond Fest? Oh, my God. I saw The Lodge. Oh, how was that? It's really gripping, but it's one of those movies where the plot only moves forward if if people are really mean. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, mean people suck. <laughs> um, and then I saw uh, Dolomite is my name, which I thought was fantastic. It was interesting. Uh, it unfolded in such an interesting way because at the beginning it felt like a Netflix movie mm-hmm. where they look like a Netflix movie. And there's a certain – the person in the color timer at the Netflix movies always got like – it's no, no. It's set for eight for a reason. <laughs> so don't change it because we don't want it to be any different. But once Eddie Murphy takes the stage – as Dolomite in character, it just takes off, and it's wonderful. Wesley Snipes steals every scene. No kidding. Yes, yes. Okay, so, a lot of recommends. Can't yeah. wait catch to see up that. on movies. It's really good. Amazing. That's great. Okay, that's like those are two. <laughs> what else did I see? Saw oh, Judy. I saw Judy too. Did you like Judy? I love Renee Zellweger, and yeah. I thought it was just a remarkable performance. Um, it's a great the performance. movie. Does not live up to her performance. Mm, right. and I've heard that. It bothered me because I knew Lorna around the time that her mother, we were in high school together. So some of it didn't really gel, but right. uh, she was breathtaking. And I think just for that, it's worth seeing. Well, one of the things I found most interesting coming out of that movie, because I went to it with a lot of Judy experts <laughs> who like so homosexuals. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so walked out and – my favorite anecdote in terms of the differences between reality and the film that they shared was the Louis B. Mara scene when he's like, you sing from the heart, honk, honk, and like grabbed her boob. I'm saying – you haven't seen the movie. I haven't. I'm looking at you like you've seen the movie. I'm going to look over here. <laughs> honk, honk, you sing from the heart. Okay. So Louis B. Mara kind of like <laughs> honk, honks Judy and Judy's all demure and, and victimized and like – just actually frozen in her tracks. But the real story is when he did that, uh, she said, Mr. Mayor, we don't have that relationship and took her, his hand off Mm. of her, which I was like, why didn't you do true? Why didn't you do true? Yeah, that's a choice. Because that's more interesting than playing her as demure and kind I guess, you know, they wanted a character arc of coming from a weak place to a strong place, but she always like, it's pretty she strong. was punk rock. She kicked yeah. you in the tea. She Judy. She, I <laughs> she didn't Judy. know that. That's an interesting piece yeah. about her. Well, that's what these homosexuals told me. <laughs> I don't know if it's true. Because <laughs> you know the homosexuals. <laughs> right. Well, I thought – I mean I, I don't know about any of that. But I know that the, 
And uh, I met her, I guess I must have been a senior in high school, and there was a club in New York called Arthur. And it was a really cool place, and Sybil Shepherd. No, that's not right. Not Sybil Shepherd. Who was Sybil Burton? The other Sybil <laughs> Burton. Get my Sybils confused. She owned the club, and it was a very, very cool club in New York. And we used to go there. My boyfriend and I used to go there and dance. They let us in, even though we were underage. And uh, I met Judy because Lorna was co- – we were leaving, and she was coming in with her mother, and Lorna knew us – Tony and I both and said, oh, please stay, you know, sit with us. And what I was struck by with Judy, first of all, she was the tiniest little thing. Just the look in her eyes was, she was so fragile Hmm. and so just vulnerable. And, um, you know, just sort of looking at which I thought, Renee, it was there it was. Right. It was Mm -hmm. exactly as I remembered it. And Mickey Deans was the manager of the club. Hmm. He was a bit smarmy, right? I'll just right. say. <laughs> well, was wasn't he a homosexual? Yes, in, he in was. The real life? He was. <laughs> he in was. the real, real. In the real, real. Yes, <laughs> he was. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it seemed like the timeline was off because at that time, Lorna was already a teenager, and in the film. She wasn't right at that. But anyway, those things bother me because. But I don't think it affects. Uh, certainly doesn't affect the outcome. It was the least of the movie's problem. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was. Yeah. I mean, it really didn't track well. So see it way. for Renee. She's oh, amazing. There are moments. Absolutely. Where, okay. It felt like a deep fake. You know, it felt oh, like shit. a deep okay. fake of Judy Garland on her face. You know, when they did uh, Jim Carrey as Jack Nicholson. Uh-huh. It was like, she, like was, was that just like three frames of, of real Judy? <laughs> yeah, I've seen a couple like, you know, when you're scrolling through Twitter and you yeah. see a clip, but it doesn't have any sound or anything because you're going. And I thought it was her. Yeah. Like, and I was so happy that she got a standing ovation at TIFF. It's a, it's a great performance. It is a great yeah. performance. I like Renee. Yeah. Yeah. She's always wonderful. Yeah. What have you seen? God, what have I watched? I have like Brian and I are obsessed with Great British Bake Off oh, or the Great British Baking Show. Don't speak for me. <laughs> My Brian. Oh, not you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we've watched. We're in the we're in our third season in a row. Like we've watched there's ten episodes a season, and we're midway through the third collection on Netflix, and we started like two weeks ago. It's what we've been watching every single night. I haven't seen any of those shows. It's so entertaining and so nice. It's you know what it is, right? It's it's a baking competition in England, but every person on it is super nice and the judges are super nice and the hosts are super nice, so it's just like a nice warm and fuzzy thing to watch. Oh. And they help each other and then when someone gets kicked off, they cry and they're like, "Why do you have to leave?" and it's like, "Well, it's part of the show." Um, <laughs> but that and I watched rewatched Urban Legend. Oh, Recently. how does that hold up? I, I love mean, Rebecca Gay Hart. I love her all day long. Yeah, I mean, her performance at the end is like off the charts. With the parka? Camp. Yeah, yeah. and like the ding, ding, ding and right. talking about anatomy. And She's like, I know what movie I'm in. Watch yeah, this. Yeah, and like <laughs> like setting up her slideshow projector right. that like she's been carrying around as the killer, apparently. <laughs> um, I can just imagine her going to Sears and being like, I need a projector. <laughs> um I love that movie. It's, it's a fun movie. It's a very fun movie. And I actually think of the 90s slashers, it's probably the most ripe for like a true remake. Right. As opposed to like a TV series or a sequel or anything like that. Like it's. 
Did you see any of the Scream TV series? I couldn't get. I tried to watch the first episode of each season and couldn't get through. I was like, "You're not Nev Campbell. You're just not. <laughs> you're not Courtney yeah. Cox. You're not Scream." Right. <laughs> um. But Urban Legend is super fun. I had a lot of fun watching it. I got the Blu-ray from Scream Factory. Oh. I think Jeff I left it here too. for us. Yeah. yeah. Um, he did that on purpose so he could plug it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Scream Factory. Thanks, Jeff. He's given us some great He's given us some good yeah. Blu-rays. When he comes, you just wait and see coming. what Nancy Allen has for you. <gasps> In the Whole Foods bag? Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, it's not fresh produce. <laughs> so that's about it. I, uh, is I've anybody been, watching Dark Crystal? No. I started it. Okay, the the first episode is a chore. Okay, it was a <laughs> thank you because that's exactly. Chore. I actually had to try three times because I fell asleep. I have a rule where if I look at my phone three times, I'm out. Mm. And I look oh, at my phone a, a lot. And I was just like, but the world building is so it's good. So and like, too. who's that actor with that voice? I kept on googling that. So, but by episode three, it gets genuinely great. Okay. What about Joker? Anyway. Oh, I saw Joker. I Did you see Joker? Night? Yes. What'd you think? Well, uh, <laughs> I love him. Yes. I think he is just mesmerizing. Yeah, he was. I enjoyed watching the film last night, but overnight it didn't sit well with me. I felt that it's just – when I leave a film and I feel stupid, like, well, what am I supposed to think? Right. I don't like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but he, he was the glue for me. It's just – again, it's a performance – that the film doesn't live up to really. It, like it, there, yeah. there are a lot of compare and contrasts with mm-hmm. Judy and Joker. Yeah, and it's not just the J of it all. <laughs> <laughs> but they're like it's interesting because both have such pivotal central performances that just knock you on your uh, nether regions. Uh, <laughs> but they're also, I think, Joker's a better movie than Judy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were definite times where I was so enthralled by him that I was like you guys are lucky you have him because I don't know if this movie would work without him did you notice the marquee yes what's on the marquee blowout and (laughs) Zorro the gay blade so it's a big Venn diagram at the queer wolf podcast I love it someone just gifted me blowout Oh, I like I stopped listening I was, after like before the, before the last Hello. syllable. Yeah, it's like, oh, such an LA present. It's a bump. Right. <laughs> it, came the, it comes in the mail. <laughs> like, why is that guy sniffing his keys? <laughs> sniffing that envelope in front of the mailbox. You don't know where there's keys at. Oh. <laughs> yeah, someone gave me a blowout DVD this this past weekend. Oh. Well, so. I just keep hearing all these sentences wrong. Mm-hmm. Every time you do it on purpose. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the, pin, the pinter pause before uh, the second between, between the two syllables. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So uh, I watched so many things. I had to pull up a list because I watched yeah, so many girl. things because I was with my friend in New Hampshire and we always go on these like horror movie marathons. Yes. Right. So I watched The Prey. Alice, Sweet Alice. Yes. <gasps> with Brooke Shields. Yes. And that was your first view, right? Yes, and that was my first time. I'm Didn't you obsessed. love it? Obsessed. So good. Obsessed. Little girls are candles. <laughs> <laughs> just set them on fire. And they <laughs> I love – my friend was uh, the killer for Halloween a few years ago. Oh, with the mask? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like the best, I looked up masks outfit. immediately. Yeah. <laughs> you can find them on Amazon. Yeah, and they're on yeah. Etsy for like 10 bucks. Yeah. Why are they all from Russia? Why are they all free shit from Russia? <laughs> I was like, none of these Don't are going to be here by Halloween. Right. <laughs> Um, a, a non-horror movie that I watched. Not that it's not horrific. Coffee. Mm. 
Oh, Pam Greer coffee. I haven't either. Oh my god, I think it's my favorite movie. I know that. I know that's like a lot to say, but. Jackie uh, Brown is my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. I love that movie. Yeah, well, but she's so amazing. Oh, some so of the same music. Is, oh, yeah. So I think you'll like it. Uh, I watched The Redeemer, which I loved. I, I don't, and I had I never heard of it before. A lot. I know. And then I watched Dark Room, and that was okay. Uh, but I did watch two episodes of Basketball Wives, <laughs> which really hit the spot. Yeah, that's like the nanny. Like the TV show, The Nanny? Yes. Okay, when you said The Nanny, I pictured first The Hand That Rocked the Cradle before I pictured (laughs) Fran Drescher. I went Rebecca DeMornay, like in my mind. I love The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I love that Fran Drescher has been trying to get a nanny reboot off the the ground for the five years. She should. Uh, Yeah. She's trying. Her and uh, Cardi B were talking about it. That was a new twist. Cardi B was good in Hustlers. She was great. She was really good in Hustlers. I've seen it. That yes. movie, it's good. I'm gonna go. <laughs> I um, loved it, and I watched also watched a couple episodes of Dragnet, which like, I don't know the if, original. Yes, okay. That was my favorite show as a kid. Was it really? Yes, my mom was like this little weirdo. Like, <laughs> I don't understand what's wrong with you. You check out Dragnet yes. with Jack Webb. Yes, not Dan Aykroyd. Well, well, no, wow, not um, LA Dragnet. You know, back I when know. I would like watch a show <laughs> that centered the police, like I don't know that I would do that now. Yeah, um, but what if it was a musical? Depends on what happens to them. <laughs> what if they die? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I, it was taking it. It made me. Re- I'm like, I wonder as a little kid if I was like. If that's when I became obsessed with Los Angeles, because just watching the show now and then being like, oh, we went to the San Fernando Valley and then we went. And I was like, I was a kid. Of course, I didn't know where any of these places were. But um, I don't know. I think it started something in me. And then when I heard the theme song, I was like, I've been humming that song my whole life and have not remembered what that was from. (laughs) That was Dragnet set in the time that it aired. So, like, it wasn't like yeah, it was in the, the 30s. I mean, the 50s. 20s. Obviously, yeah. I watched it on um, TV Land because <laughs> mm. I was born in '85, and I think the show. Me too. Yeah, right. Exactly. So you know, '86 I mean? actually. Um, '87. Right on the yes. Oh my god, July 25th, 1986. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I watched a lot of things, but That's I think good. The Redeemer was my favorite. Okay. Yeah. Not Alice, sweet Alice. I mean, barely. I love just that right movie. under The Redeemer. Alice Sweet Alice is traumatic. It really yes. Have you ever seen that movie? I don't think so. Little girl Brooke Shields is murdered like immediately. Yes. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> and then and, like, it's murdered a, hard. Like, oh, like yeah. don't they burn her? Yes. Yeah. Right. In the, in the like. In the church, in right? In that seat. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Is that why she did all those anti-smoking commercials later in her life? Wow. <laughs> Probably. Can't get the smell of smoke out of her. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think I'm running home to watch this. <laughs> for it is really, oh, so really scary. It's super yeah. upsetting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, like predates Halloween by a couple years too. And it doesn't get a lot of credit for being part of the slasher Is it, is it after Black Christmas? It is. Okay. I think it's in like right in the middle. Okay. Next time I'm in Jersey, I definitely want to go see the apartment building. Oh, good idea. Like, yeah. Good idea. Yeah. But that was it. All 45 things. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We're viewers. So, dress to kill. Oh, is that what we're here for? Well, I, I'm assuming. <laughs> I, Brian, you watched the wrong movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> I watched the black and white one. Uh, has this movie come up? I mean, it's it seems so obviously a queer wolf like mm-hmm. dish because of its 
queerness has it has has it been part of the conversation? Have we mentioned I it don't before? I think so. Maybe in the Silence of the Lambs episode. And it might right. have got brought up during just discussing De Palma during Carrie. Oh yeah. When we did Carrie. But yeah. But yeah, and no one else has requested it. Mm-mm. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I feel very sad. <laughs> we but cannot we, tell her these things. Well, no, I think it's <laughs> my my point is I think people they go for more of like the horror. It's you know? like, is it considered horror? I mean, it was in Terror in the Isles. Well, it was. yeah, I think it's more suspense, <laughs> yeah. thriller, you know, yeah. Yeah. than horror, straight horror. That's true. I mean, there are so many uh, horrific elements of it Very. and scares, but it's it is a thriller. Yeah, it's uh, you know one of the things that I I loved about it growing up and was uh, oh are you did you did I jump in? Are you going to read no. like a synopsis? No. Does no, every people know? Oh, so like what what are your one line descriptions oh, of Dress to Kill? I mean, so typically our one-liners, we will give a shady summary of each movie, but it's really hard to be shady about this movie. Yeah, Nay and I were actually texting about that. Like, we love, it's (laughs) so good. (laughs) And it's, you know, there's like a few movies as a kid that I got to see because there was some like free week of stars like attached uh, to right. our stuff. That's how I saw Blue Lagoon. That's how I saw anything. <laughs> Blue Lagoon, you, another you know? fire to water. And Blue Lagoon was like a oh, early one my for me God, too. Yes, and so face. I remember seeing this and like my heart immediately raising because I knew how much trouble because the openings I knew how much trouble I would get if my mom walked in so I had my finger on the last button of course so I can flip back to you know TV <laughs> light to dragnet if I need to I like that guy who popped up in the shower had his finger on the button too if you know what right. I mean correct <laughs> sure did, correct yeah. the right one <laughs> the better button um <laughs> It's going to be that conversation (laughs) you're right how old were you when you saw it you know I want to say between 8 and 11 and I remember remembering that I was very young you know, as a single mom, latchkey kid. Do, we, mm. do people still say that? Yeah. You were a single mom at eight? Yes. <laughs> and a latchkey kid? Yes. <laughs> Doing it all. No, I had a single mom. I was home. I liked to be alone, and I was home alone a lot. Um, and uh, I remember remembering the name of the movie, and when I saw that it was going to come on again on the TV Guide channel, <laughs> mm. I that? like, yes. <laughs> Scrolling I, real stuff. I was ready. I was like, I know my mom's going to be asleep then. I don't have to be as nervous. And I didn't have the words to describe horny, but I knew that's what I knew <laughs> <laughs> that I was going to feel when I watched it. And I was so excited. <laughs> it, like I, I recall, and this may be an overshare and I apologize, but I recall masturbating to the opening sequence. Absolutely. Like, multiple times wow and Good i for was you. what 12 oh, like damn. it was no i was i was i was 11, i was 10 or 11 so like testicles just dropped it was very <laughs> it was very erotically charged and not in any sort of specific way because it opens with this you know this I guess Captain Blake from the fog emerging in the shower, <laughs> you know, behind uh, behind uh, Angie. Angie, and it it didn't feel it didn't feel like it was uh, inappropriate to be turned on by it. Mm-hmm. 
Like it felt like that was the whole topic sentence of this movie is this is about people's complicated relationship with sex and sexuality and their own sexuality, which was kind of fascinating for the juxtaposition of this homemaker character who doesn't have sexual agency and this very savvy businesswoman who does have sexual agency mm-hmm. and so much at the time was about the misogyny of the movie and maybe it was because I'm a cisgendered gay man I didn't feel the misogyny as much as the compare and contrast between these two characters mm-hmm. that I found interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and but it, that's not how the movie originally opened no oh right I read that and the original title was called Straight Razor Oh. So it opened with, should I tell? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So first close-up of a man in the mirror shaving his face and then shaving his chest and then shaving and then the razor comes up Slice. in front of his eyes and then out of frame and that was the opening. Wow. So it was cut, obviously. We shot it, but it was cut and uh, it became – yeah. Does that footage exist? Is it on any sort of like Well, I don't know that it was ever I mean it was cut into the movie, right. but I don't it was never shown in that form. Perhaps Brian has it in some vault somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. Was the guy shaving someone we know in the movie or was it just No, it was just, just a random, random random guy. A lot of random guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it should be. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, that scene, this, this, this scene in the shower where she's fantasizing right. about the man coming up, the stranger coming right. up behind her, uh, that because of that scene and the way it was originally shot and the scene in the elevator, uh, it was originally given an X rating. And it had For to extra be special. Yes, exactly. And so <laughs> it had to be trimmed, trimmed uh, in the editing room after that. So hmm. well, it was, it was so it, silly. It's so silly. It was kind of a. Uh, I'm surprised it didn't get more heat with how flagrantly sexual it is because this this is 1980 yes. and there's this interesting thing happening with. Uh, De Palma was going to be directing Cruising. And so the the sexuality of the movie in strange ways or exhilarating ways, um, <laughs> like they really resonated with me as a gay man uh, relating to strong female characters mm-hmm. and the, uh, you know, the fantasy at the beginning versus the uh, accelerated behavior. Like you can see her working herself up into, you know, I, I, I got to deal with this issue yeah. somehow. Like she, in, in you got to get down in the cab. Well, and that, it's so <laughs> like, <laughs> right. It's a reminder Good to me her. that like, it's not just gay men who have sex in public spaces. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that happens all the time. It happened a lot in this movie. <laughs> Everyone that is not a gay man is jealous of the kind of cruising that gay men are capable of and do do every day. Yeah. Do do. Do do. I saw your face. I knew you were going <laughs> to. Uh, um, I have a friend who, like, I have no game when it comes to anything sort of like indicating <laughs> sexual interest in, in any way, shape, or form. But I have a friend whose 
much more sexually active than I am. And I saw him in play once where he just grabbed his dick and looked at a guy and they like walked off. And I was like, is, is that it? Is that what you have to – like is that – Yeah. And I could never bring myself <laughs> to do that. Uh, but I, I, I recognize the uh, control and lack of control in an interesting way. That's Shooting your shot, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's like if you have a shot, take it. So she takes it in, in – and that's why the museum sequence oh, is so, so much. hypnotic to me. Yeah. Um, and also I just love that this woman is struggling with her sexuality. Mm-hmm. And, but and, also like kind of doing something about it. You know? Yes. Yeah, like, but then she gets punished for it. Yes, yes. unfortunately. But that the museum scene is like – sexually exhilarating but it's also like suspenseful and scary because you don't know like the first time i saw it i I thought she was gonna die in that scene and i couldn't in the museum yeah and like my younger self was like like just look at it on for the ride of like oh my god is she gonna have sex with this guy or is he gonna kill her and it's like kind of crazy to sex and death kind of do go together you know what i mean like they're both so primal and like so like I don't know the first time watching it I think I was like eighteen or nineteen my first experience with it though was I grew up at a conservative house and we weren't allowed to watch certain things and I caught my dad watching them <laughs> okay. on one of those free cable things we were I probably never watching at the same time I, well I never I never um, said anything to him I was watching from the top of the steps watching could him you watch see his movie. shoulders <laughs> moving in any the rocking fashion? chair is just going yeah. back and forth um, but so that was my first instance I was like maybe like 12 or 13, but then I watched it in college and just, yeah, that scene, it's just so great. And it's silent. Yes. It's silent. And it's so, it's like the same kind of exhilarating feeling when you are flirting with someone. I mean, I haven't had that Mm -hmm. museum situation happen. (laughs) Would love for that to happen. But, um, do you go to museums? Yes. Especially in a museum. It's possible. Can wear gloves next time. <laughs> Drop a, a black nitrile glove so that I can flag for the dykes. <laughs> no. Well, there was there anything on set and working with Angie just being she was policewoman. Yes, she was, and she comes with this pedigree of wholesomeness, mm-hmm. even though she was sort of you know a tough character. I think this is one of her finest performances in terms of just the vulnerability that she conveys, the complexity of this woman's narrative in the brief time that we get to see her. Like, Was there any kind of air of just police woman in, around the set? No, not, not at all. I think she absolutely exudes sexuality. I, I mean, that is, that is Angie. That's yeah. Yeah. the nature of who she is. And if you look at some of her earlier work, she was very – very sexual in those roles. And then she became the good girl, so right. to speak, the, the lawmaker. And I think this brought back who she was in her earlier days, only in a much more powerful way. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I didn't have – I only worked with her really in the one scene in the elevator, which was all broken up into, oh, one shot right, with right. the two of us. So, <laughs> uh, but, but you could feel her. I mean she just really was a very sexy woman. Yeah, you know, she really. Well, she was. spends her part of the movie barely speaking. Yes. So she exudes everything with her eyes and just mm-hmm. like the way she controls her body and mm-hmm. stuff, and it just is so damn sexy. Beautiful <laughs> outfit. Yeah, that's and, Anne Roth. She the, the most 
magnificent costume design. The clothes in the movie yeah, from I just love beginning her. to end are amazing. Mm-hmm. The silk panties. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, uh, I love the flashback of seeing them drop. Yes. <laughs> All of the flashbacks. Uh-huh. I mean, uh-huh. just talking about uh-huh. the, the making of the movie and the use of flashbacks and the split screens yes. mm-hmm. and split screens with things happening concurrently in the narrative and then split screening to things that were flashing back through the narrative. It, and nobody was doing that as much as he was doing at that time. Was there a specific kind of competitiveness in going the extra mile and really dedicating those frames so meticulously to, to what he filmed? I think that was just his thing. You know, right. he loves, so he loved split screen and it was a challenge to make it work. And he felt that it really worked in certain films that he did and other films that didn't work. So it was a, it was, always looking to master that. Right. I was just thinking about something about the museum sequence and Angie's character. And, and uh, I haven't thought about it in this way before. And if you think about it at the end, when I'm in the office with Dr. Elliot, mm-hmm. I tell this, this dream, this dream that I had, which of course is a sexual fantasy. And um, uh, really she is acting out another sexual fantasy there. And it was based on, I'm this is what I'm thinking now. There was a book by Nancy Friday. I don't remember the title of it, but Brian gave it to me to read to come up with these, this, this dream that I was going to tell in the scene. And they're all the fantasies, almost every fantasy of women, different women, real women in this book was all the stranger. It was all about a strange huh. man and being overtaken by a strange man and uh, some more violent than others being forced because I think that generation of women, they weren't – That I would include myself in saying it – although I broke through in the 60s, it, it, you weren't allowed to think about sex, certainly not for pleasure. So someone had to was like force you yeah. to enjoy yourself while you were having sex. So, you know, I don't know. But – in in that in that did you in did you give yourself the sexual freedom before uh, my mother was before my mother was comfortable yes right right, yes. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> which is just part of establishing your own identity in yeah. in a wonderful way because that's part of you know when you were saying the the anonymous stranger it was like well that's that's very. It's very much like gay sex and like there is a, a a fetishization to the anonymous stranger and part of it is, you know, the sky's the limit. It could be anybody. It's exciting. Uh, no it's judgment. dangerous. Yes. Yeah. And, well, and the taboo. Right. You know. That you're supposed to know somebody mm-hmm. intimately mm-hmm. before you allow them to know your body intimately. And there's something kind of interesting about the appeal uh, – like – I guess going on the defense for anonymous sex for a second, there's something kind of interesting that you, that you're not forced to deal with somebody else's baggage in the way that you do with somebody that you know intimately where you're like, oh, I can't do this because, you know, it'll trigger yeah, in well, that way. Like, as, thanks. See you later. Right. right. Like <laughs> they're not going to let me piss on them. So uh, <laughs> I have to figure out something else. Well, and I think for what from what Nancy, you were saying too, like Angie's character and at the time in 1980, there was like a two generations kind of treating sex differently mm-hmm. where it, in, in the movie, Angie's character is a, a, a woman of probably duty and 
talking about her sex with you guys in the word duty. <laughs> no, it's Brian. <laughs> it's his fault. But it, like, you know, talking about sex with her husband and therapy and your character just has the freedom and the joy. And, yeah. you know, it's so it's to me, the, the movie is a big commentary on just like the differences in generations. Well, you know, yes, that's absolutely true. And I thinking about, you know, being a teenager in the sixties and mm. being raised in the fifties and Catholic school and, you, you know, don't, and you don't have boys <laughs> and, uh, you know, all of that. And, uh, and then everything changing, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll and, and, uh, freed uh, the pill, mm-hmm. you know, birth control pills. And, um, it was, so there's that, my generation had so much conflict because we're doing all this, but then we feel bad about it in a way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We had to constantly work oh, at Catholic so. guilt. Oh, totally. Yes. <laughs> I know. Is that. everybody Catholic? Does everybody have no. a Catholic experience? I went to no, Catholic grade school at high school, so I know Catholic guilt well. Just, I bailed in ninth grade. <laughs> you're, you're lucky. <laughs> I was confirmed Catholic. Were you really? You were. No, I went from Christian school from kindergarten through my senior year wow. of high school. The same Christian school in a graduating class of four. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Whoa. Yeah. Was it like the Hunger Games and there were more initially? <laughs> it was like children of the corn, actually, in a literal cornfield. She was born in corn. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy, for oh, – oh, no, I was just going to ask her a technical question because you brought yeah. up the uh, the split screens and stuff. Is just writer brain. Is that Was that stuff all scripted? Like mm. how did Brian lay that out? In the script, it, the the script read like the movie exactly what exactly. you saw exactly what you saw. It okay. was there. It was all in there. You could visualize everything. That's amazing. And of course, everything was on boards all around his dining room, so you could see you know storyboards. Uh-huh. But it was definitely in the script. Interesting, yeah, because mm-hmm. that scene where you're in your apartment and you're talking to your mom. I'm doing air quotes. Yes. And then Michael Caine is how do I put it? Is he like listen like essentially? Hearing Bobby, yes, um, it's so good. I don't have anything to add other than I just love <laughs> yeah, no. that so much. And as I was watching, I watched it again today. I've watched this movie three times in the last two weeks, um, and I just kept thinking about it. how did he script this? I was just so curious. Split and, uh, screen. This wow. is what's going on. Yeah. So just as like I, that. Yeah. Just as you see it. It's brilliant. When the movie came out, did you was. Were you in the middle of the backlash or was there like is back backlash seems like the wrong word. There just seems like there was a sensitivity to the issues around being a woman and this movie. Well, you know, we lived in New York and there was a lot of uh, a lot of talk about what a misogynist he was and look what he did to his wife and forcing her to do the, you know, this kind of crazy Uh talk. And uh, in fact, we were sitting in uh, a restaurant having dinner one night and at the next table, they were talking about, isn't it terrible what he did to and made his wife do in this movie? And da, 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 and I had a few cocktails. <laughs> I said, excuse me, but do you really think that I would let somebody force me to do something? And they were so embarrassed. But yes. I mean, that's, should, <laughs> that's kind of what it was like. It really made me angry. You know, it really did. Because I, I really felt that this was a very liberated powerful woman. I loved her, but it was all about the sex and, oh, and he put her in lingerie and, you know, all of this and blah, blah, blah. You know, it really seemed ridiculous to me. It does seem ridiculous because – People's own repressions. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, it is, but it actually – it actually helped the movie 
more people were curious about it because it's like, oh, I wonder what's going on in this film. A little bit of scandal never hurt anything. Yes, exactly. <laughs> One of the things that I loved about the movie is is that she seemed so in control of of who she was as a character. And I was a little gay boy in the 70s, so it was all about Princess Leah and Ripley and – uh, Jean-Vieux Bujold from Coma and these strong women who are are guiding their own narratives in a wonderful way. And that seemed like it was overshadowed by the sexuality of the movie that which seemed really unfair because he he was drawing a contrast between these two women and they're two such wonderful performances mm-hmm. on either side. And one of the things that I've – and I've said this to you before that I love about your performance is that there is an al- alchemy and tone of – between the thriller scenes and sort of some levity like the cab chase is, oh, is so Carol Lombard like poking <laughs> her head up and, and checking That's her so jaw. Great. Were you just and the stuff with Marino? I liked Detective yes, Marino. Yeah, the rat-a-tat-tat that you had with with yeah. Dennis was that part of crafting the character, or were you like this scene feels like it could use a little Carol Lombard? Like, where did the cocking of the jaw come from? Because it's one of my favorite moments. <laughs> you mentioned that before and, she got yes, here too. Yeah. Well, anyway, so we're, <laughs> we were doing uh, tr- you know uh, uh, what do you call them uh, running shots all around uh, the Broadway area. Sixth Avenue and around and around and around we go and at some point I'm like oh my god I, I would be, we flip around I thought and Brian said that's funny do that right. you know so that's where it came from just came funny. from the moment <laughs> it was funny did like, so did you feel like there were a bunch of different uh, tones pulling at your performance or did you just find the the balance by being inside the character. I don't really think I thought so much about the tone. I mean, I love humor. I wish I'd in my career had gotten to do a lot more of things with humor, but um it's it really was about uh really about letting myself feel free to do whatever I wanted to do within right. this character. Oh, yeah. uh, I <laughs> I did – Anne Roth, who was the costume designer, had mm-hmm. worked on Clute and she offered – she said, you know, I could take you to some wonderful bars where all the hookers are. And I thought – and I really – here's the, here it is. I really wanted to go, but I wouldn't let myself. I thought, oh, well, I really shouldn't. You know, it, it, there's that repression, you uh-huh. know. But I did uh, – I mean, I have a pretty good fantasy, so I could – imagine what it would be like Hell yeah! so yeah it's really about finding and i always like to try and find the humor right in a character so and it came through there was there was oh, yeah. levity with her as a yeah. heroine which i think is one of her one of the reasons that she has such lasting appeal mm-hmm. is that she she's fun she is like exactly you, you want to have a drink with yeah, liz fine. blake and fine. Fine yes. and fine. Yes. <laughs> Just type of heroin. You're not you drowning me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's – and there's – you're – you own the movie at the end of the day because in true in true reality fashion, especially then, you got a bunch of men who are basically saying you're the killer or we're not going to help you. You have a killer after you in one scene and then a group of men also after you in that same scene. Mm-hmm. And it, I think I think she's a, a heroine. We really don't see a lot. Well, I mean, it's, I it's love, total I control and agency. Her. I really do love yeah, her. Yeah, I mean, she's amazing. You're amazing. What Thank am I saying? You. You're Thank here. You. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's the character. It's the character. 
Well, one of the things that, that we talked about in terms of this kind of character in this movie, usually sex workers in a film who are final girls, quote unquote, or survivors at the end of the film have some sort of shame arc that they're working through. For instance, you know, Jane Fonda yeah. and Clue yeah. is really trying to work her mm-hmm. way through the the shame of being a sex worker and having agency, but in some way you could argue that it is not an agency in the way that she is dealing with it. But Liz Blake is like I'm gonna call my stockbroker. I'm gonna get my stockbroker a little call. I get some autotron. It's the best. Yes. Buying a thousand dollars worth of stocks. I'm like, oh, like, yeah. oh I need five hundred. <laughs> Got it. Hold on one second. Let me get my yeah. other phone. No, I die for it. I love. I love that por- that part of the portrayal of sex work, and I love that this movie shows us that. And this is something that sex workers say. This is not something I, I have come up with in this moment that sex work is dangerous because of how people treat sex workers. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like it is not because the sex is a sin or like exchanging anything for sex is a sin. It's because people suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the agency, the agency that she has in this movie that you had in this movie. Um, and as a kid, I don't think I understood. I'm, I mean, I'm sure that as a kid, I thought, you know, sex work was a sin because I thought everything was a sin. But to watch it again as a grown up, I think I have a lot more appreciation for that role because of the agency that they allowed her and that it didn't feel like her in, in any part of the film, she was being punished by like a higher power for what she was doing. Right. It was punished by humans because that's yeah what happens yeah humans and yeah. fate and a little bit you know yeah just stumbling kind of stumbling on angie and then mr doctor well it's it's a, it's a <laughs> wonderful metaphor this uh, you know the the storytelling does have a certain mythology to it because you are juxtaposing these two women so wonderfully in a way that you can only really do when you're controlling the narrative and telling a story is like, here's a woman who's, who's struggling with her sexuality. Here's a woman who doesn't have that problem Mm -hmm. and who survives and who's the savvier navigator, you know? Yeah. And how it's like one woman who's having really unsatisfying sex with her husband and then a woman who chooses who to have sex with and how much she's going to get paid for it or well, if she, she chooses to, to do it for pleasure. On. Yeah. And she, she likes powerful, the power of that. the erotic. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's so great to see next to each other. And that's mm. definitely not something I ever thought about as a kid, but I was thinking about how my memory of watching it when I was younger was that when she saw the paper in that desk that mentioned the venereal oh. disease as a kid, I thought it was HIV. Like my memory of that was like, oh, she found out this person has HIV because it was also watching it in the 90s. And I'm sure that's like what I was the most fearful kind of right. thing that you could read. Um, and then watching it on the plane yesterday, I was like, oh, it doesn't even say that. Why is my memory of that? It, 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 does it say down does below? It, say it does say venereal disease. It does say it. Does it yeah. say, yeah. say septonorrhea or, or something? No, it yeah. says venereal disease. Venereal, yeah. 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 It does. Warren Lockman. <laughs> <laughs> he was sexy AF. Uh, was I wish sexy. he was following me around. At yeah, museum. I watched the museum a scene like maybe three times today. <laughs> and I was like, hey, daddy. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, taking control of the situation in, a, in an interesting way that is, 
you know, it is that strange kind of like you are so repressed. I have to take I have to take the wheel and I'm not Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I kept waiting for her. I'm like, are you going to go back and get the glove that you discarded because you thought you lost the other those one? Those ice are so cheap. <laughs> You could have had both. Neither were those panties. They were very expensive. <laughs> well, Bobby got that glove. That's mm. right. You picked it up. That's right. That's one of the things that I love seeing it with the new 4K release oh. is that everything is crystal clear oh, and you see all of those <laughs> those nice moments of her. Just the the things that I missed when I saw it as a kid because it was pan and scan. Like when I saw it because I saw it on cable. I didn't see it in the theaters until – the last 10 years i would say so i had no idea how much beautiful cinematography was taking place because it was the pan and scan totally went by bobby so quickly when it's panning from the museum to the the taxi i only noticed i was like oh that's bobby like they had to like adjust it Mm -hmm. in a way that it wasn't as obvious so there was that must have killed him to see pan and scan versions of that movie of course i think any director would feel that way about their films. Oh yeah. Certainly Woody Allen I think can really controls how the frames are so that they actually can't. I think it's built into his contract that they can't oh, no show kidding. them like that. Yeah, that's what I remember anyhow. One of the things that that came up about the movie in an interesting way particularly with this podcast is the identity of the killer and the killer's psychological situation. We've seen Buffalo Bill Mm -hmm. who was another person who wanted to have a sex change and was denied and then became a killer. And the same with Bobby wanted to have a sex change was denied and became a killer. And at that time, there was no real conversation about trans people. Mm -hmm. And I don't think like, am I misremembering it? Or is there a moment at the either at the end or on the stairwell with the conversation between the two doctors about, you know, the, it's, I'm going to the Clary Starling line, which no trans people are a very peaceful people. And this doesn't passive. match any of the passive. Yeah. Yes. And they like fashion and good food and fine wines. <laughs> and, uh, but there was there any sort of not sensitivity, but I guess sensitivity or awareness of, that being something that might stick in people's minds about this movie 40 years later, the trans issue of it all. I don't think so. You know, I think it, uh, it, 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 it grew out of a, a something that we watched on Phil Donahue mm-hmm. right. was Nancy. That clip from the movie was yes. the episode, right? Yes, yeah. and it was. And, and really it's so so different today, which is so great. But in those days, everybody who was having that operation had lived a straight life, uh, and they were middle-aged men who were transitioning. So I think that's kind of what triggered the thought in Brian. And and I, I, I don't really think there was anyone thinking about, oh, my God, in 40 years, it'll be so different. <laughs> and young boys and girls will be able to do, you know, whatever they want to do. So I, I don't think there was that enlightenment. Right. <laughs> I really don't. Well, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating because of the, you know, I remember when Basic Instinct came out as well. And there was, everybody was up in arms because it was a negative portrayal of lesbians. And I was like, I know you hate this word, but it's like, she's a boss. She's like taking care of business and she's in control. And she's like, I know it's going to unnerve you. I'm going to uncross my legs and watch Correct. you all lose your mind. 
So I, I, ne- I, I didn't hate her as a character. I was just like, oh, she like figured out how to maximize her role in the system and play it for everything she wants to for play herself, it for. Yeah. Which is not dissimilar from from Liz Blake in in a kind of like. I, of course, I like to turn men on. It's interesting. It's fun. Like, look at them when they're turned on. It's fascinating. Like, there is this anthropological kind of approach to sexuality that I find really kind of sophisticated. Well, even Phil Donahue in the clip, he kind of course corrects himself with his own language, which actually surprised Thank me. Thank God. Like, I had, I, you know, when I had watched it again, I said three, I think three times the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. I'm always struck by that every time because it was 19. 19- 1980. And he, yeah, like he course corrected his own language before continuing. What did, what did he, he, I forget exactly what he said. He goes, a normal, then he said traditional. Yeah. So he said a normal lifestyle, but yes. then he said, I'm sorry, traditional. He goes, that lifestyle. actually could be yeah. offensive, or mm-hmm. he actually like admitted that it, it was the wrong thing to say. And maybe traditional isn't the right thing to say either. But at the same time, it was just, I was like, that actually really stuck out to me more than almost anything else. Mm-hmm. In regards to that aspect of the movie, was well, he was great at that. Yeah, he really went to my good. high school. Did he? Bill? Yeah, yeah. You guys were in high school together. He is a year younger than me. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> junior, senior romance. <laughs> yeah, he went to my high school. Um, uh, it just it. I'm just going to ask you, what do you think of that? Well, it just sounds out to me how important it is for us to speak about this mm-hmm. at any point in time. Like, it's never too late to course correct. It's never too late to enlighten folks or educate folks. Um, and it's never too early to want to do better. It's never too early to want to do better. <laughs> it's never a bad idea to apologize. <laughs> and even if we feel like we're in this like radical bubble here in Los Angeles, like we know that, yeah, you know, violence is still yeah. occurring to trans people I mean, every what, single day. Look what was at the Supreme court today. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's just really important for us to always take that stand, especially as allies to trans people, because we don't know the future social movements aren't always progressive. We right. don't know what will be the, what will be happening in 40 years. Hopefully it will be even much better than now. Um, but, you know, like we Donald and things <laughs> along those lines, you know, we're not always so sure of that. And so. I am just glad that we can be here talking about what we're talking about right now in the way that we're talking about it. Did did Bobby read as a queer character to you as queer people watching it when you were young? Oh, when I was young, I think unfortunately, and I am sorry to our, our trans listeners if it's like hard to hear people talk about like what they thought of trans folks as a young person. But I think as a kid, I thought, the same with like um, Silence of the Lambs or any person uh, portrayed like this. I thought it was men who wanted to dress like women. I didn't believe. I thought thought genitals and sex were always aligned. I thought if you have Mm -hmm. a penis, you're a man. And so I, I'm, I, I thought it was a, a weird, a quote unquote, like kind of weird, weirdo kind of thing to do. But as an adult, like, yes, I like this person is, this is a queer, this is like a queer, a trans story. But as a kid, I was just highly ignorant, Same. <laughs> like the most ignorant, you know? Yeah. To me so, as a kid, there was no difference between gender and sex. Yeah. And yeah. I also think I, and how many people think of trans folks is that, you know, someone is born something and then become something. And it's like, that's not the narrative that 
trans folks want people to be repeating about them. It's like, no, I wasn't born as this. I am this. Right. I didn't become this. I am this. I was born this way. Like maybe my body, maybe I chose to physically transition my body or like through hormones or surgeries. But we know that trans folks don't have to do that to be trans. They don't have to do that to be the gender that they are. Um, And I definitely didn't have any kind of understanding of that as a kid, unfortunately. I don't think I understood the um I I believe I understood it in the in in the sense that the narrative was intended which was this person isn't a trans person this by the end of it because I hooked into the Norman Bates of it all and it was like okay I don't think Norman Bates is a trans character how I understand trans and it feels like with Bobby, it's a disassociative identity disorder, which is when you were going to do the one liners, I was going to say, did he, or didn't she, but the dids would be like acronyms for dissociative identity. disorder. (laughs) But that was a lot of work. (laughs) It's also tricky, you know, for all of, for all of us queer folks and trans folks, like talking about mental health and, how our sexualities, our genders are or are not aligned with different mental illnesses. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's because I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't read it as trans. I read it as like, oh, it, yeah, Brian De Palma is doing psycho, and like the elevator was the shower, but you know, mm, not in, mm-hmm. not in sort of like a derivative way, but in kind of. I'm going to take this to the next level right. because this is how I've up been inspired. And, and and I feel like he did up the ante in, mm-hmm. in a wonderful way with all sorts of themes because if you look at Psycho, it is about sexual repression in its own way. And when he was attracted to uh, poor Marilyn. Marion, yeah. Or Marion. Yeah. And then mom came out and with with Dr. Um, Elliot. Elliot. I love it when you say it because it like totally zings me back <laughs> to <Elliot>. that movie. <laughs> You're like, I'm like, yeah. oh my god! Oh, there's there's like, is it lightning? There's <laughs> raining. <laughs> Keep birds out in the window. I'm in New York City. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it does feel like uh, that there is a. a a difference between the psychological issues and the sexual issues in a way that the movie blurred and you know as a device to keep the audience on its toes. Um, but I imagine as a trans person, like if that's your only exposure to other people that look like you or have your problem, not problem, but your situation uh, to solve, you know, the body dysmorphia, like am I going to – am I going to change? Am I going to be fine with it? There's a lot of issues for people who are trans and with the disassociative identity disorders, it's like I go to sp- – it's, I wouldn't say splice, but it's not splice. That's about the the baby. Yeah, <laughs> the alien baby. The alien baby. What's the one with James McAvoy? Split. Split. That's about DID, isn't it? I, I haven't seen so. it. I think so. Yeah. Which he like he's a different character. He's like twenty three. Twenty three different characters. Yeah. So it's it's interesting the because there are no other examples of a positive trans character from nineteen eighty. I would be upset too. I, you know, the, part of me feels like 
when it comes to the the plot line or the story that we see in many different things where a trans person is denied healthcare and then they go on a killing spree. Right. I'm like, that's a little positive. <laughs> well, that, but I understand, no, I understand that's- like how that's not a positive representation, but I'm like, well, Should've you just gave keep them their de- right. You keep denying people their humanity. Shit. Like, what do you want? But that's an interesting issue. Just from a character point of view, if you deny somebody their humanity, you can't expect them to behave in the most human terms. Yeah. I mean, and trans folks die every single day. Every day. Yeah. Murdered and killed. Yeah. Both murdered and killed. Both murdered and killed. Yeah. And it is a a fascinating disconnect because it it does go down to – that I think goes down to a certain misogyny because what's the worst thing for a man to do? in society's eyes is to behave like a woman. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they kept mentioning masculine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, which is another element of this movie that has this fantastic soup of queer cultures happening in it with a woman who's in control of her sexuality, speedboating through all of these issues <laughs> that I, I wonder, <laughs> you know, it's, it's chock full of, of queer issues. This film. Yeah. I guess, yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess certainly it is. Uh, I was just – I was uh, thinking as you were saying that in 1980 when it came out, I didn't know anybody. That was trans? Nobody. Now I know parents of trans kids. Right. Like friends of mine whose kids have transitioned and I just think it's – I mean at least they're talking about it. Everyone's open. So things have moved forward a little bit. At least in this city, you know, so that makes me a little bit encouraged that uh, there's it's there's a possibility for change and awareness. Yeah, I I mean, before doing the podcast, I sat down with a trans friend of mine and I was like, "What shouldn't we be talking about? And what's what are the things that are uh, the biggest issues as a trans person?" And you know. For him, it was the view – like any rationalization that would allow somebody to see a trans person as threatening mm. is is the thing. So like you, you pissed off this trans person who's not a trans person. They have a dissociative identity disorder but perceptually to the audience, it's you're pissed off a trans person and they became a killer. Um, you know, as a writer sitting in a writer's room, like I can see, I can see the pitch. I can see why it works in the puzzle of the narrative and why it is an interesting element to provide for the story. Um, and then yet at the same time, I can't not see the faces and the names of trans people who may have a difficult time with this movie. Like I can't watch monster squad. Like the movie about with the because the kids call each other fag and faggot all the time, and I'm like, fuck this movie. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. and and that movie's for me. That movie has all the monsters showing up. It's, it's <laughs> Universal Monsters meets the Goonies. Uh-huh. I'm in a hundred percent, and I can't watch it because they say faggot a lot. At least they do in the first few minutes before I shut it off. <laughs> they sure do. They do. I forgot about that. Wow. I don't like that. I don't, I don't like, like it either. either. Really? So I imagine that 
if that's difficult for me on that basic level, how this movie could be difficult for some people. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the, the fascinating contrast for me is that as a, as a gay man, I see, I see, I see the villainy of the Bobby character. And like you said, I kind of, I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, we're falling in love with Jason Voorhees, which I get because Jason Voorhees was a challenged <laughs> child who lost his mother in a dramatic way. So I'm always a little rooting yeah. for Jason mm-hmm. because he was wronged by society. Freddie is a Evil kitty demon. fucker right. who <laughs> is killing people. So like, I don't kind of for Pamela too. Like, Pamela I, root, I as absolutely well. yeah. root for Pamela. Yeah. Um, I don't root for Freddie. It's because for me, that's all about Heather Camp and Nancy Thompson uh. and being prepared and being the woman who has a plan. And I will drag you into this reality and beat your ass. <laughs> So that's that's where I like get charged as a as a as a queer film goer, and I I wonder if there is a differentiation between like straight horror fans and gay horror fans in terms of which murderers they lean toward or are attracted to. Yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be full Bobby um, if all the men died. <laughs> like if Bobby was killing men and not like women, Dennis Franz. Right. <laughs> Hate. <laughs> I mean, the Michael character said- is so the performance is so good and it's so well written yes. that I like hate him. Yes, I like physically hate the character. <laughs> said he, but you're supposed to. Yeah, absolutely. You, you said know? that he makes your tummy feel weird. Yeah, I said he makes my, <laughs> that's uh, like Dennis Friend's character makes my tummy feel weird. <laughs> I loved him in Psycho too, as well. I love Psycho too. I, Psycho too is a, a great movie. movie. It is a really, it's a really great good movie. But we've seen Dennis Friend's a couple times and stuff on the here, right? Where he's been kind of a shit. I feel like we saw him in something else recently. Where I was Nancy like, said he was a horrible person to work with. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he was my rock. I love Dennis. And then we got to do Blowout together. So uh, that's, that's right. what it was. Yeah. And he's really he's so sleazy in that. Uh, he's good. He plays a good Carp. sleaze. It's Manny Carp is the yeah. character's name. Uh, that's right. What a name. Um, it was his idea to chew the gum, right? Did I read that? Uh, knowing Dennis, I would <laughs> yeah. say that's probably right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I think I'd be a full Bobby Bobbyite in terms of like who. who, who yeah, and, instead of instead of um, I'm blanking on Angie's character's name, Kate. Kate. Kate instead of her, you know, take some. Yeah, men Bobby out. was just killing men. Get the guy you're you're walking down Kill the hall husband. with. Yeah, Kill that bad yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Wham, bam! Thank you, yeah. ma'am. Save the guy with. VD. <laughs> Warren, we it's can get it fixed. Yeah, get yeah. everybody you know, on There's friend. penicillin. No one deserves VD. And yeah. you know what? He he gave Angie what she needed. <laughs> Correct. Thank you, Warren. Thank you, Warren. May we all be somebody's the Warren. The can stay. Yes. I love the cabbie. And Peter. Maybe Peter will grow up to be a nice guy. Yes. Oh, he was cute. He's so cute. So cute. And the, Peter for sure. Yes. Yeah. The, the, are you Just talking the about the cabbie? The cabbie was so cute. Because he was in Friday the 13th Part 2. He is. And he's so cute. He's Definite. I just watched that recently. I showed friends it for the first time. They loved it, and he's so adorable. In that he movie. is adorable. It's uh, Bill, 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 Bill the cabbie. Bill the cab I love when he opens that door. <laughs> I was, I was Oh my god, allies, right? Allies. So all the bad fucks and the shitty men. Yeah, have so, to die. Yeah. 
Well, how would you compare and contrast Bobby versus, say, Buffalo Bill? That's a really loaded question, but a good one. You just wanted to say that L word. Duty. Duty. <laughs> You're disgusting. <laughs> I, I mean, just from a, a, I guess a story standpoint, I feel like Bobby's less calculated, right. reactionary. Right. Whereas Buffalo Bill tends to essentially. Methodical. Yeah. Methodical, borderline evil. Borderline? Um, <laughs> What Catholic school did you go to? <laughs> a good one. Um, those are the biggest differences for me. And yeah, I mean, because yeah, Bobby's like a Bobby's a bad bitch. You yeah, know? like yeah, that fucking razor. The razor is so razor. sexy. It's so oh my sexy. god, it's so it's sexy. She's using a man's uh, a man's grooming element. Mm-hmm. To- yeah, connected back to the very first scene. Um, the coat, the way, everything. Bad bitch, the glasses? Yes, I'm yeah. obsessed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I am a fan yeah. of Bobby. Team as Bobby. Because she, <laughs> well, she's also very iconic. She's very yeah. – there's a fetishistic quality to her and because the first times we see Bobby, it's played by a woman and mm-hmm. so the con- the gender confusion is, is part of the appeal – I say that hesitantly because I know that you know for, for some of the trans listeners, you might be like, okay, like no. that shit ain't fun. Fuck that's, you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not cool. Yeah. Um, but as a queer kid watching it when I was ten or eleven um, on cable, I felt a queer resonance to Liz, um, and I felt a queer. I, I felt that I was more like Bobby than any of the other men on 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 screen. And I, I did feel an affinity toward the character because I knew intrinsically that I was queer and I knew that Bobby was queer. So I did have sympathy for the situation. I, I think I agree with you. I think there's an appeal with Bobby in a strange way. I don't know how to really explain it. Whereas the Buffalo Bill character for me, and maybe cause I'm not related to that film, but was just, so much more terrifying mm-hmm, because there was something so uh, creepy. Yes. The place and what he was doing and the girl and the pit and, you know, yeah. all of that. Terrifying. This, at least, he just killed them and got it over with. He didn't torture them first, but right. no. I mean, but, mm-hmm. but anyway, really, there was, for me, the appeal. And maybe it was this, the constant undertone of sexuality to the movie that kept you or kept me feeling. Bobby's a alluring. More- yeah, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. voice, that voice mm-hmm. on the phone with Bill Bill Finley, who was just <gasps> master voice. He's so great. I Do you know who Bill him. Finley is? Uh-uh. He's like in all of the movies. He was the Phantom in Phantom of the Paradise. Oh no, kidding! He yeah. was in, he was at the the blue Do- the the Black Dahlia movie. Oh. He, he was the guy at the top of the stairs who was like, wasn't he the killer at the end? Yeah, I just saw that again recently. Yes, he was in that. He yeah. did a lot of Brian's early movies. They were very, very close friends. They, I believe they went – maybe they went to Columbia together. I'm not sure. But he was in some of his early films and he always found something or at least tried to find something for Bill. He's a wonderful actor. And you bought that it wasn't Michael Caine? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of the things that was interesting about uh, an anecdote about Michael Caine from uh, Death Trap 
where he sort of famously said – threatened Christopher Reeve if the kiss was wet or if he opened his mouth or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in Dress to Kill, he's Mrs. Kane you know, in the wig and coming out and, and being kind of jovial with the crew and saying, you know, well, if you want to get a look at my mother, here, here she is. <laughs> uh, was the, he wasn't in Bobby costume. I was going to say drag, but like, would, would that be offensive? Bobby drag. Cause that's another thing that's sort of the, Drag versus trans yeah. versus like there's there's a yeah, tiramisu. Like one's a performance and one is just who people are. Right. Yeah. One is an identity. Yeah. Which is another reason why I think Bobby stands out quasi as and speaking as of the character as somebody with DID as opposed to trans. There's there's a heroic quality to taking revenge even mm. when it's super fucked up. Because you become the hero of your own narrative Mm -hmm. in a way that's like, well, at least somebody's championing Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody else does. Michael was never dressed, only in the one scene in the office, because I remember Brian saying, I can't have Michael Caine running around New York in a dress. (laughs) (laughs) He would probably would have done it, but it would have been – the shoes were enormous. That's what I remember. When I did the the Bobby for Night of a Thousand Bobbies Halloween a few years ago, <laughs> I don't know how women wear heels. I don't like it hurts so mm-hmm. much. It's, they're horrible. You get used to it though. You anything for the the look that you want, suffering it, for your beauty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wear heels. No, Do you wear heels? Think, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, one step. Ouch. Ow. Yeah. It was painful. I was yeah, like, I, I can't. I, you have my sympathy. Well, you're Michael Caine is tall, but not quite as tall as you. <laughs> it was a it was a size fourteen. Oh shit. Shoe, which I think it was a sixteen because it's a women's shoe, and aren't they like two mm-hmm. behind or something like that? Yeah. 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 It was not comfortable. Um, <laughs> this movie, as a thriller, and in in the the whole lexicon of characters that you did with Brian on between Carrie and Dress to Kill and Blowout. Which, Blowout was after Dress to Kill, right? Yes. Yes. Which one of these characters Ooh. did you love the most? Oh, gosh. You know, uh, you love them all a little bit. Right. I mean, Liz is special because Brian wrote that role for me. Um, and she's the hero. She is. She's really, really strong. I had to grow into Sally, right? whose name I chose because she was called Kate again. I was like, no, that's not going to work for this character. <laughs> I was like, just did Kate. Um, because she was on the page in the script that I read just so so weak and such a loser, really. Right. And uh, <laughs> so I had to find a way – had to find her. So there's something in discovering and making it work and the challenge of it. Creating. You fall in love right. with her. and uh, But part of what I had to do to do that was I always believe a character has to have some sort of goal, something that they're – hope in their life. And now we know she's never going to be doing makeup for movie stars. But the fact that she could imagine herself doing that, I liked – Giving her that uh, that little little bit of hope. You know that she lives in the novelization, right? You know, 
I don't. I never read it. And there was a big, big fight about that. Uh, there were there were a couple of groups. The, there was the Paul Hirsch, George Leto, who was the producer, and me were saying, ah, you know, you probably shouldn't kill this character. And how can John Travolta not save the girl? And happy <laughs> ending. And, you know, Brian was looking for that. Oh, but it's like, you know, it's like Romeo, not Romeo and Juliet, but the idea that it's, you know, love unrealized. And I said, well, they got to at least have a real kiss or something of falling in love. But he, both he and John were big time against it. And I fought for this, that little bit of a kiss to have something. But I, in the end of the day, I think they were probably right uh, because the movie really does work and it is very sad. And it's horrible. It's, it's dark. It's a dark piece. Yeah. But I will say, I think that psychologically and in a deep way, Brian knew he was gonna, we were going to get divorced. So I think he wanted to kill this character. <laughs> <laughs> That's <Wow>. my truth. <laughs> so he didn't write the novelization. Uh, I don't think he did. I don't even remember to tell you the truth. I, I have no idea. But I, I, what does she take a bus? Isn't it something like she's on a bus going I've somewhere? Yeah, yeah, something like that, right? It's kind of strange. I, I have it. I have the novelization. <laughs> I, I, I read it a long time ago, and I was like, "Yay, justice for Sally!" <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting. Like these are two completely different characters. Sally, oh yeah, and Liz are couldn't be. More different. And oh, Chris my too. God, totally. And Chris, too. Yeah. Did you ever see Home Movies that Brian and I did? You ever see that film? I saw that probably in seventh grade, and I don't remember much of it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, it's an interesting thing. It's it's uh, Keith Gordon was in that film. He plays the young character. There's a It's a family, kind of a crazy family. And uh, Keith is the forgotten brother. There's Garrett Graham who plays the hmm. – brother who's the god and uh and so keith anyway i'm uh, this strange little girl who's engaged to his brother and i love her because she's really crazy and um (laughs) she's always talking about bunny and she's on the phone with bunny and i can't talk to you now bunny and bunny's like come on you've got to get back on the road and you know anyway as you pan down and you see the phone is unplugged So you find out that she did this sex act with a rabbit. So I really like this character. She was fun. And it's Vincent Gardini. It's very, very silly. But what people don't know, I'm sure Brian has spoken about it. Since then, it is really autobiographical in that the character Keith plays is collecting divorce evidence for his mother's divorce, following his father around, taking pictures. And Keith, all the things he's doing, Keith kept saying, nobody would ever do this. Who would do this? And I'm thinking, well, (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't say anything. Yo, Brian did. Yes, he did. And didn't speak to his father for many years when he was 17. So it really was very autobiographical in in a lot of ways. I mean, not every single detail, but the the big picture, yes, it was. When he wrote himself a little bit into um, Dress to Kill, right? With um, the Peter character, yeah, with yeah, the, some of the a, stuff he does, right? Yeah, he was a nerd, a yeah. computer nerd, and yeah. all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was there reading was that. about that today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I Were think you, he was really the Liz character. No, <laughs> <laughs> he anonymous wishes he sex. Was, he wishes he was. We Liz. all wish we were Liz. <laughs> uh, did you have an idea that Keith Gordon was going to become such a wonderful filmmaker? 
No, but it makes complete sense because he was so brilliant, even as a young boy. I think he was 16 when we first met him, and he just was fascinated by – he was talking about the shots, and I think we should try it this way. He seemed to have a bit of a fix on it, and uh, he – just was always asking Brian. So it, it really does make a lot of sense. It's just a, I, And I adore him. Loved working with him. And uh, he is a wonderful filmmaker. If you haven't seen his movies and his TV work. Yeah, yeah. It's He's amazing. a lot of wonderful TV yeah, work. Yeah, I was yeah. looking him up because when I was watching it this time, I was like, where do I know him from? And it was Jaws 2. Oh, yes, yes. And I was, when I was doing a deep dive, I started learning that he's a filmmaker. I have oh, a lot of love doing for Jaws 2. I do too. Yeah. It's a good movie. It's like the teen slasher of Jaws. It is. Yeah, it's great. I, 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 I'm a big fan. Jaws is a slasher. Jaws 2, anyway. I haven't seen it in so long. I don't oh, remember. So it's it was Jaws 3D. Oh, that my was, God. That was just not good. It's not only good. good for the shirtless oh Dennis God. Quaid bit. Oh, I thought you were going to say uh, Louis Gossett Jr. <laughs> that, too. Mm. <laughs> Nay. <laughs> <laughs> well, would we give Dress to Kill a pride float? In 1980 or in 2019? Um, I maybe, but I would want to have a conversation with a bunch of trans people to make sure we did it in a way that wouldn't Correct. offend them. Trans people and sex workers. Mm. Yes. yes. Well, I think sex workers are already on Team Les Blake. Oh, I'm, yeah. The efficiency of her operation, <laughs> the safety of, well, relative. I mean, there was, there was that murder in the elevator. Right. <laughs> that was. That wasn't safe for anybody. She was like being followed and stalked and whatnot. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually but it was the yeah. police. It was a police woman. Well. Yeah. Oh, that see. makes sense. <laughs> Angie Dickinson never really went away because they just brought in a police woman character to carry on. Right. What do you think? Would you give it a... Um, maybe not a flow. I think you're right. We would need to talk to lots of trans folks to see what's up. But I think we could do, you know, a spot at Pride where they do testing. Oh, good. Maybe for um, uh, STIs. Uh, maybe um, there's some kind of workshop on how to disclose your STIs to oh, future partners. Um, oh, interesting. You know, because that they could have... No, there was no conversation Let them find between. it in your desk drawer. Yeah, you know, that's one way. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's maybe... That's good. Some good booths and... Yeah, uh, maybe raising money for sex workers or some kind of advocacy of some kind. But, and and yeah. educating other queer folk who aren't in the know. Yeah. I would volunteer to be educated. Yeah. We, we like, all. <laughs> All queers need to be more educated about mm. other queers yes. just so we can right. have each other's backs. 100%. Because we're all we got sometimes, you know? Sure thing. I like yeah. your idea. I think you could add a fundraising component to it as well. Yes. I think you're right. I'm pretty good at that, actually. <laughs> you so. are. I like to do some fundraisers, too. <laughs> Ugh, I love it. You. I love it. I love it because um, if I had the money, I would just give it away. But I don't. So I have to find creative ways to raise funds for causes and mm -hmm. – Pretty fun, yeah. What do you think? Pride Parade? I'm going along with Nay. I think they're involved. The movie's involved. Um, no float. I think some advocacy is the way to go there. Yeah, an education. Like an armband? 
to guide you to the a Liz armband. <laughs> yeah, a BDSM blood play workshop. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you know, for the straight razors. Fuck yeah. <laughs> It's well, a cab action, like have uh, the back half of a cab. Oh, like, like mm. maybe the the sex club portion. Yes, part it's of just it a is big cab. Like the backseat of a cab. It's like cut in half. Yeah. Um, for anybody who's listening who is a big fan of Dress to Kill, there are action figures available with a significant donation at the WeSpark website. If you want to have a little Liz and a little Bobby that you want to play with on your subway playset, so cute. They're all they're done in Star Wars style. So like the three, like with the card and everything, and uh, WeSpark. Check out WeSpark.com. Org. WeSpark.org. Org. Org people. Org. Dot org. And Nancy, can we find you on online anywhere? Well, you can find me at wespark.org for Perfect. sure. <laughs> okay. You can find me on Facebook. Okie doke. Do you want that? And Be Instagram. Your <laughs> Instagram, yes. What are you on Instagram? I am on – oh, I'm uh, – It's. I think it's Nancy Allen 624, which is my birthday. Oh. Or 624 Nancy Allen. I don't know. I can never remember. <laughs> You'll find it. I'm not good you- at social media. Well, you're good at um, everything else, probably. Uh, <laughs> after Dress to Kill, who even cares? You know? <laughs> no. So what about you, Brian? Oh, I am at uh, Brian Fullergram on Instagram and then Brian Fuller on Twitter. Oh, my God. And pictures of your dogs. I love my baby boy. So cute. Babies. Also, the decorating you've been doing. It's all it's all about Halloween. Oh, and my God. I think there are like 20 skeletons roaming the yard in the bushes. <laughs> Oh my and god! People who come out are like, "So are you having a Halloween party?" And I'm like, "No, this is for me. Halloween lifestyle. Like, this, this, is, this is literally for me." Yeah. Yes, this is, like, it is. And I say that, and they sort of like cock their heads and they're like, "You have children?" And I'm like, "What?" My neighbors last week were like, "We noticed you have a lot of like weird colored lights in your living room because our apartments you can like literally see into each other if your windows are open." I'm like, "It's Halloween." They're like, "It's September." I was like, "I'm." <laughs> I'm here for Halloween, so I'm celebrating early, as if I, the shit wouldn't be up anyway. Also, you're not paying my rent. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, it was Why really nice you? about it, but oh, I love, okay. you. I love I'm your sorry, answer. I'm sorry, I'm defensive. Yeah. No, I love Excuse that. Me. I love that. I should say that to him. <laughs> Don't do it. You'll ruin all your relationships. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Michael Ken Ken. Uh huh. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Black Cupcake. You can find my art Instagram at Gotti Los Angeles. And you can find the show at Queer Wolf Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find the Attack of the Queer Wolf Pack group on Facebook. Yes. And you can find God in the face of a small child. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, Brian. Uh, Brian, I adore you. I adore you. I adore you. I don't appreciate um, you telling Michael that I told you to leave his birthday party. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that would get back to you. But um, well, we told that story on the air. <laughs> <laughs> but You're like this popcorn salty, get out. <laughs> so funny. So I had a birthday party recently, or in August, and we watched. Uh, we did a screening of Jennifer's body, and about midway through, this one just leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get a text from Brian, and it just says, "Name me, leave." <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Which is my excuse whenever I leave any party early. I'm just like, Nate told me to leave. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I like it even if it's not true. And I like literally like did look back at her and she's just watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Your seat was empty. <laughs> Nancy, thank you so yes, much for thank being you. here. Thank you for having so, me. so much. It was really a pleasure. I don't think we've ever had we've ever discussed a movie with one of the actors present. Right. And no. this yeah. actor. So, yes, this right. actor. So how can we queer <laughs> RoboCop and Blowout and you've already done Carrie? Mm. Well, let's just go through Nancy's just filmography. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you were doing the filmography earlier, I wanted to like jump in with quotes from every Murphy. Like, <laughs> Murphy, have. it's you. Like, like, I just... <laughs> They're all like, eat shit, Carrie White. Well, yeah, let's do Blowout in the new year and bring you both back. Sounds good. That would be great. Yeah. There is a there is a sort of queer element to Blowout because she's she's kind of. Well, am I forcing that? Am I, I, no, I, I as I was saying that I was like, queer adjacent's good and scary's on its own. We're doing Scream Two next, so well, Jamie Kennedy. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> they should have just made him queer. They should have. You're right. Hmm. Well, the last name like that. that. I'll bury your gaze. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we love y'all. Thanks Thank, for you. So Thank you. Yay. Thank you. Oh. <laughs>